That's what I was thinking. Yeah, perfect. She pronounces it a bit like Spanish. Yeah, you know, like my, Javier. my family is from Buenos Aires, Argentina, so my ah, birth name is why. Francisco Javier Oliviera. Ah, that sounds very Argentinian. <laughs> it actually <laughs> is. It is. Matias, man, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to give us a call. You know, you guys have been doing this for quite a long time, and there was, a, I don't know, about five years or so ago, we thought that uh, that we were seeing the end, of the, the end of the tunnel, the end of the ride for the Scorpions, and for whatever reason, you guys have decided just to keep on powering on. Where do you get your, uh, your gusto, your zeal, your, uh, you know, inspiration for continuing the machine? that is the Scorpions here in 2018. Um, yeah, you are right. We announced, and we were serious about it, in 2010, after releasing the album Sting in the Tail, we announced this is going to be the final farewell tour. Yeah. And um, like two and a half years later, because it takes, for well, us, the Scorpions, it takes forever to get around the world because we play almost everywhere. Yeah. So world tour is like two and a half years, and during that tour, we realized, uh, nah, you know, we made a mistake. We announced this way too early. We have too much fun. And, you know, and the fans are great, and nobody wants to let us go anyway. Uh, you know, the promoters, the agencies, everybody said, are you crazy? And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I must say that the idea was, uh, is often, it was a management idea. You know, we never really felt comfortable with that anyway, but we thought, okay, you know, the Scorpions are not exactly a blues band where you can sit at the age of 83 on a chair on stage, but, you know, we are running around like madmen, and maybe it's a good thing, a good timing to say bye-bye, because, you know, as long as we are fit and healthy, but I tell you, we are still fit and healthy, and it was a very good decision to say, now, okay, we have to, you know, we want to continue, and, uh, and as well as we thought we played our last show, MTV came around the corner and asked us to do MTV Unplugged, which we couldn't do in the mid-80s because we were too busy touring. Yeah. Um, so, but then we did that project in 2013, and then we recorded another album, and we went on tour, and then came the 50th anniversary uh, of the band, and another reason to uh, keep touring. And here we are. Here we are. Uh, I'm in L.A. already. Flew in a bit early, and uh, here we are playing Friday night at the Lake Tahoe, kicking yeah. off this tour in the U.S. Wow, it's going to be dynamite, man! It's so it's so nice to have you guys back stateside here. You've given us a lot of history already, but Matthias from the Scorpions is who we're talking to this afternoon. Take me uh, take me way back to you know the uh, I guess the nucleus of the Scorpions. How important was it for you as a band, and after you had uh, had kind of made some inroads in Germany and in Europe, uh, to have that first big hit single here in the states? What was that feeling like? Um, I mean, it was for the Scorpions the the most important step to uh, get out of Europe and go to the States in 1979. We were uh, in, like connected to the management Lieber Krebs, uh, Krebs, and they had bands like Ted Nugent, who was very big at the time, Aerosmith, uh, and others, and um, they brought us over in the summer of 79, and we played some you know, some big festivals, and we played six months with uh, Ted Nugent and ACDC as a special guest, and uh, that really helped the band to develop, you know, to learn, and um, then we did the same thing in 1980 
with uh, the album Animal Magnetism and the song The Zoo already made it to the radio. Mm -hmm. And then in 1982, with the album Blackout and uh, having the, the big hit No One Like You, that really made us uh, being headliners ourselves. I would call it and, a household name almost, right? Yes. And then, you know, we followed it up with Love at First Thing, which was even much bigger, with songs like Rocky Like a Hurricane and Still Loving You and others, Big City Nights, all those songs. Uh, you know, our album stayed in the charts for almost two years. And uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane was, I think, in the top ten for at least half a year. And um, so that was great and really boosted us to a whole new level. But it was very, very important for us to be able to to come over to the States and get a good chance, a good spot to support uh, Ted Nugent and ACDC. That really helped the most. Dynamite. You know, when I uh, think back and listening to a song like Winds of Change as a, as a kid and really just a fan and, a, and, a, and an aspiring musician myself, um, tell me about the timing on that with the Berlin Wall falling. Is that something – what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the wall falling down and you wrote the song in response to that, or did you, or did you just kind of feel this wave of change when you went in to make the amazing song Winds of Change? Um, it started like this. I would say the egg was first. Um, we played as the first Western band in the Soviet Union in 1988 mm -hmm. in springtime in Leningrad, which is now called St. Petersburg again. And they didn't allow us to play in Moscow due to some festivities. They always have like May Parade or whatever, and they were preparing. They were very strange at the time anyway. And um, so we played 10 shows, sold out shows in Leningrad, sold out meaning 15,000 people, 10 shows in a row. So people came from Siberia, from everywhere. And um, one and a half years later, we uh, played a big festival, two nights at the Lenin Stadium, 100,000 people each in Moscow, finally. And we were having, as a support, um, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Ozzy Osbourne, so uh, American bands, uh, and it was a great festival. And we could see the changes between early 88 and August of 89, because all of a sudden things were like starting to get a bit more colorful, and, you know, the people were easier. Some actually spoke a bit of English and amazing changes, you know, details first. But then Klaus wrote the song about it. And then a year later, the Berlin Wall came down. Hmm. So the song is not really about the Berlin Wall, but obviously that the wall was coming down and Germany was reunited again. It was only a consequence of the changes in the Soviet Union. Wow. Interesting story, man. Of course, the timing couldn't have been more spot on. Uh, right. You know, you've uh, you've played a, a couple of different types of guitars. I believe you started as a as a Fender Strat player and then moved on to to Gibson, which both guitars have got incredibly different sounds um, to to just the the way that the the body kind of resonates. Did did you find it difficult to make that transition from Fender over to Gibson? Um, I always played both uh, simultaneously. Because okay. I still do that today. Because, you know, if you listen to the Scorpion sound, um, it seems to be uh, like very like humbucking, Gibson-orientated uh -huh. first. But then if you, for example, we just talked about Win of Change, you couldn't do that with uh, Gibson. You have to have a Strat 
and the intros even with a Telecaster. So, you know, I bring the variety of sounds to our sound, uh, Scorpion sound. And um, so when I started our touring here in the U.S., I only had one Explorer and one Stratocaster, no spare guitar. Wow. I know. And uh, then we ended up in um, in St. Paul, Minneapolis one day, and I saw a white Explorer like mine in the display window, and I bought it. And because I had two now, I wanted to let the people know. So I came up with the idea in the dressing room just before the show to put on the black gaffer tape, those stripes, yeah. which are very like famous now. And uh, <clears throat> the reason was only because I wanted to let everybody know that I have more than one Explorer now. <laughs> okay, a designation of one versus the other. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, speaking of guitars, not to get too tech talk here, but are you familiar with a guy named Greg Golden and his multi-million dollar guitar vault that exists here in Reno? No, but it sounds oh. great. Wow. Well, he literally has a multi-million dollar guitar vault. I was talking with a guitar player buddy of mine the other day. One of his Fender Strats has the serial number of 00000002, believe it or not. I don't know how soon, how early you guys get into the area here, but if there's any way possible, Matthias, if one person would respect going into this vault, I could make that happen. Any chance you might uh, have some spare time to come into the valley and, and go check out this guitar vault? <laughs> I'm not. I know that not this time, but it's good to know. Okay. And I will, well, you know, make everything possible to have a chance to to take a look at that. that and, sounds and I th- amazing. I think they're all for sale too. You know, every every touring band that comes through town for whatever reason, Greg's got a relationship with him. And and some guys are like, you know, I got twenty thousand dollars to spend on a nice, you know, gold top Les Paul, and uh, and Greg will be like, ah, it's not enough money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, it's Matthias Jobs from uh, from the Scorpion. So excited to see you back here on the stage. You know, you speak English very, very well. Uh, oh. Has that always been the case, or has it been from all the touring and the time that you've spent here in the States that you've adopted it as a uh, second or third language? And how many languages do you speak with touring all over the world? Uh, my first language, mother tongue, is obviously German. Yeah. Uh, I speak English okay, as you can tell. And I speak French because I learned it at school. And in the first couple of years, when nobody spoke English in France, I had to do all the talking, and I did the interviews en français. Yeah. And same thing with uh, Eastern Canada, like Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, they speak French to us. And, um, yeah, my English is quite all right, I think. I learned it in school, but obviously improved it. Uh, throughout the years being on the road. What's your, uh, what's your favorite thing about playing here in the USA uh, as opposed to other you know, parts of the world? I mean, this, the States have that rock and roll feel. That's, uh, you know, it, it seems to, it's, it's so established here. In some other countries, you know, we play some exotic countries as well. Uh, who knows where New Caledonia is? You yeah. know, three hours away from Sydney, somewhere in the silent ocean. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, rock and roll doesn't come from there. People love it, though. Mm-hmm. But here, you know, rock and roll has been uh, invented, so to speak, in the States, mm-hmm. and you can still feel that. It's a certain vibe which, you know, we feel when we are on stage. The people just, you know, they, they just love to have a party and listen to rock and roll. 
Speaking of partying, you guys have toured with just about every major rock band on the planet. Um, when you first got a taste of American rock bands, you'd mentioned like Aerosmith or or even you going a little a little younger like Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. Were you ever shocked at the amount of debauchery that a lot of these artists uh, uh, get involved in backstage or in their off hours? Or is that all just part of the scene? Did you have the same thing in Germany with some of the German rock bands? Um, no, not as much uh, in Europe as in the States. You know, again, uh, this is something that was uh, established here uh, in the U.S. And, uh, but, you know, we adopted, we adopted quickly. Uh, you know, we learned <laughs> everything <laughs> within the first two already. And, you know, back then we, you know, we played like crazy. We played six months. Um, uh, first tour, six months, the second one, it was like a hundred shows each, then quickly go back to Europe, record another album. It was, those were the hectic days. And in, on the Crazy World Tour in 1990, 1991, we played nine months in the States only. Mm -hmm. And then the tour lasted like, again, two and a half years around the world. But, uh, you know, if you follow uh, a schedule, like, you know, play a show, then party all night, then, you know, drive overnight maybe to the next destination and do the same thing again and again and again for six months, you're pretty exhausted. Yeah, I, I could imagine. Who, who would you say is the most debaucherous American rock band that you guys went out and toured with? <clears throat> Probably Motley Crue. Molly Crew, okay, yeah. I mean, uh, look, us us regular humanoids w would never have uh, any idea, any inkling of what goes on behind the scenes with a lot of these bands. But Motley Crew is certainly notorious, aren't they? <laughs> hey, so uh, we are so looking forward to the show. It's uh, Matthias on the line with us from the Scorpions performing up at uh, the beautiful Harvey's Outdoor Arena, South Lake Tahoe, Friday night. Tickets still available. You can find those at uh, kdot.com on the web. Um, is there a song that you guys play that's been such a massive hit that uh, you have to play it every single show that you play, that you are sick and tired of playing, that once you finally wrap it up, you'll say, man, if I don't ever have to play that riff again in my life, good riddance. <laughs> um, you know what's funny? Um, obviously, we have not played a show without Rocky Like a Hurricane uh -huh. um, yeah, since it came out. But we, I tell you, we would not go to the rehearsal studio and play this song. Okay. Because <laughs> no reason. We know how to do it. Yeah. But, but as soon as we play to an audience, it never gets tired, no yeah. matter what song it is, because the, all, the way the audience reacts to Rocky Like a Hurricane or many other songs, it makes us feel excited about it, and yeah. it's fun to play it again, but only if we play it to people. Okay. You know, with so many hits, do you ever find it uh, challenging to, you know, to dig deep into the archive and, and play a, songs a song like Sales of Sharon or, or something that's very deep that isn't always on every single tour? Yeah, we, at the moment, we, um, you know, it, it's, it's a bit odd to play a song that's, you know, that old, uh, because the majority of the people today don't even know them. Yeah. But uh, we, we found it like an alternative. We have a medley of four songs from the 70s, which okay. we play now. So, you know, it gives, us, it gives a taste to the audience who is with us since uh, even more than 40 years, mm -hmm. who listen to the stuff from the 70s. That and, would be so, and that goes down very well, and it's, uh, it's uh, the powerful versions of the 70s material. What are those songs? Can you tell me? Yes, of course. Uh, it's Top of the Bill, mm -hmm. 
It's, um, oh, let me see what comes next. Uh, Steam Rock Fever, uh, Speedy's Coming, and Catch Your Train. Wow. Very cool. I'm so excited to come check out this show. Um, like I say, I go way, 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 way back with the band. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, one oh, of the yeah. first jobs that I had in the uh, on the on the performing side of things, I was a, a runner. I was a production assistant for a, a group called Stone City Attractions uh, down That's, in San Antonio. I remember we played for Stone City Attractions. They had the T-shirt with a star. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, and I grew up uh, learning how to do radio under the late great Joe Anthony, the Godfather in San Antonio. Yeah, I, I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I was given the key to the dressing room and told to I I told I was told you could take the next hour off, go see some of the show. It was my very first gig doing acting as a runner for you guys. And I believe I went off site to go grab something to eat or to watch some of the show. And I came back and the promoter was furious with me because for whatever reason someone needed to get into the damn dressing room and guess who was holding the key? That would be me, this punk yeah. little 16, 17-year-old kid working as a runner for the Scorpions. Man, I took a ration of crap for making for making that poor move. <laughs> but anyway, nonetheless, we are excited to have you back here stateside and so happy that after all these years, you guys are still growing strong and still, again, after all these years, one of the best live bands out there. I've got one final question for you, Matias from the Scorpions on the line. I uh, was privy to be one of the only people who got a chance to interview the rock band Rammstein in Chicago several years ago. And through the translator for the singer of Rammstein, who didn't know a lick of English, I asked who would win in a street fight, Rammstein or the Scorpions, and he said we would kick their asses. What do you think about that? I think... I'll wait and see. <laughs> I doubt it, pretty much. <laughs> you guys are badasses, man. I can't wait to see the show on Friday night up at uh, Harvey South Lake Tahoe. Matias from the Scorpions, you rock, yeah. man, and I appreciate you calling. Yeah, James, great to talk to you, and see you all on Friday. All right, we'll see you then. Okay. Ciao. Thank Talla you. Later. Okay, bye-bye.